Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Toho Yaro, monthly Japanese film club podcast. I'm Scott Dryman, your host for this episode, and I'm joined, as always, by Alex Kazanis. Hey, hey, hey. And Joey Weiser. Hey, guys. This month, we are talking about Takashi Miike's 1999 film, Dead or Alive. Before we get in any further into this, I'd like to put a huge content warning on this episode. This movie is incredibly violent, disgusting, and transgressive. Uh, we're not going to dwell on these scenes, but talking about this movie is going to include talking about a simulated scene of animal abuse and some scatological post-sexual abuse stuff. Uh, if either of those are too much for you, feel free to skip this episode and come back next month. Um, and uh, if you're still still around, uh, let's get on with it. All so, right. uh, Dead or Alive uh, came out in 1999, subtitled Criminals, uh, directed by Takashi Miike. Uh, it is uh, it came out is produced and came out the same year as his film Audition, and these two films both came out to the United States and kind of put him on the map for being a big director over here as, or a big cult director over here, as well as being a uh, pretty big in Japan. He, uh, he started out doing a lot of V cinema, which is Japanese direct to video movies. And, uh, this movie has, has that kind of, uh, attitude and, and concept all over it. Um, yeah. Was this theatrical? Do you know, or was this a, cinema thing uh it was very difficult for me to find that out actually i know it's screened theatrically for a lot of uh kind of uh, uh indie shows i yeah and i think it got a theatrical release in japan but i'm not certain of it okay um uh, as I said, is uh, directed by Takashi Miike. He had he had quite a few belt films under his belt and kind of got to Japanese prominence uh, prior to this with his uh, a series of uh, yakuza movies became known as the Black Society trilogy, which, to my knowledge, are a little little more grounded than this movie is, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> but uh, but got him a pretty big following. Uh, movie is written by Ichiro Ryu, who also wrote the third Dead or Alive uh, movie, Dead or Alive Final, but not the second one, Dead or Alive Birds. And the final movie in the Black Society trilogy, uh, which is titled Ley Lines. Uh, he's a frequent collaborator with Mike, uh, And so is Koji Endo, who did all the music for the film. Which, uh, aside from the the opening kind of repeated yelling uh, I didn't find <laughs> any of the music to be particularly stand out yeah but we can talk more about that later and uh, finally the cinematography cinematography was done by Hideo Yamamoto who also worked on the films uh, Hanabi or Fireworks and uh, mm. the original The Grudge mm. 
uh, finding anything out about him was kind of difficult, because, especially in connection with this movie, because he has the cinematographer has the same name as the uh, manga creator who did uh, Ichi the Killer, which is uh, Mike later ad- adapted into a movie. Yeah, so, yeah. So it has that weird Mike <laughs> link both ways. Uh, yeah. So I can see that being difficult to search for. Uh, so going through notable cast, um, the the big deal of this movie is that it casts both uh, Shoaikawa and Riki Takeuchi as the two leads. Uh, both of these uh, gentlemen were huge stars of V-Cinema Yakuza films, and putting them together in one movie for the first time was kind of on par with in America putting... Pacino and De Niro in Heat together. Ah, uh, yeah, that makes That's sense. That's funny. I was going to actually bring up Heat later. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot of Heat's DNA in this film, which is pretty interesting. But uh, aside from the two leads, the uh, the other notable cast that or was notable to me was a uh, Susumu Terajima, who you may remember from uh, the Sonatine episode mm-hmm. as Ken and. Uh, Tomoro uh, Taguchi, in a, who shows up as a cameo as a guy in a weird Afro wig, who has uh, uh, worked with Mike previously in all the Black Society trilogy movies, but uh, maybe more notably was uh, Tetsuo the Iron Man. Oh. Okay. Uh, I'd like to to point out that Sho Aikawa uh, is one of the. Um, one of the main characters in Gozu, uh, my favorite Takashi Miike film. Um, mm-hmm. And the gentleman who plays Aoki, uh, Renji Ishibashi, uh, is also in Gozu, um, and he has a, an interesting role. Uh, I hope to I hope to cover Gozu at some point on this podcast, because uh, it's there's a lot to it. Cool. Yeah, uh, yeah definitely. Um, sure we will. Uh, Takeuchi, Riki Takeuchi, uh I had seen in a um, more recent movie, Tokyo Tribe, uh, which is a really nuts movie, and he's nuts in it and great. <laughs> Another one I'd like to talk about eventually later. And I, in kind of looking him up a little bit more, I guess I had also seen him in the 2006 uh, Skabon Deka movie that's in English called Yo-Yo Girl Cop. So, yeah. Oh, I really wanted to watch yeah. that, actually. It's all right. Yeah, I'm, doing I'm some... I'm a big fan of the, the franchise, I guess you could say. <laughs> Uh, doing some context for the series, like I said, the big deal about this movie was that uh, Sho Akawa and Riki Takeuchi were in this film together. Uh, they are a, the the two biggest names in V cinema, even till to today. They're a, a huge deal. Sho Akawa has uh, a a good bit of range and just has this kind of like he can he can. He can be down to earth or he can be over the top. Whereas Ricky Takeuchi is mostly known for just like standing there making faces, which range <laughs> from from tough to just like growling and insane. But yeah. uh to the point where these days Ricky Takeuchi doesn't play characters and things, he just plays Ricky Takeuchi. <laughs> that that um, may be so. But if you want to see him uh, with a big face tattoo, eating fingers and stuff. Uh, like <laughs> tribe is the one for you. We sh- we should probably move on to the movie itself. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
uh, most of the movie takes place in uh, Kabukicho in Shinjuku, Tokyo, which is the kind of red light district. Parts of it take place in Yokohama, which is the, the nearby port town connected to Tokyo. Uh, and uh, Yokohama has some significance we'll talk about later. Uh, one thing to note is because Aikawa and Takeuchi were such big stars uh, that Mike felt that he could get away with a lot more in this movie since he knew people would pay to see it just from those two names. Hmm. And uh, yeah, he used that leeway about as much as he can. So uh, <laughs> so we start with uh, the movie begins with a shot of uh, Sho and Riki uh, kind of squatting, staring back at the camera. Counting one, two, one, two, three, four, and then cuts to the title and this crazy music. And we're instantly shot into just, I think, about eight minutes of insanity. Uh, begins with a woman falling from uh, nude from a skyscraper with a bag of cocaine in her hand, which somebody quickly grabs and runs off with. And uh, then we're, we have a bunch of quick cuts between a man in a Komodo and ghetto walking down the street, a stripper. A guy dancing around making out uh, a bunch of Yakuza in a strip club, cops roughing up girls for no apparent reason. Uh, we see uh, uh, Riki Takeuchi's uh, character, uh, Reichi, uh riding by on his motorcycle. Mm-hmm. A, a, a bunch of like fast, fast forward shots of a triad boss eating. Uh, a bunch of uh, noodles. Um, we see Sho Aikawa's character Jojima sitting in a restaurant eating, and the uh, the shot of Jojima is interesting because it is kind of this far back static shot, which is something that you'll see a lot throughout the entire movie. Um, cuts the. Uh, then we cut from from there to the guy who grabbed the cocaine and just shoved it all in his face having sex with another man in a men's room who uh, the gentleman in the kimono from earlier slides up behind him and slits his throat without the man uh, who he's having sex with really noticing. Um, uh, You have more of the, uh, more of uh, the assassins at showing up at the noodle restaurant, uh, just doing a huge shootout and shooting the, uh, uh, shooting the the triad boss who is eating noodles, making ramen fly out of his stomach in bad CG straight towards the camera. <laughs> now, uh, uh, I should I should note that uh, Takashi Miike's movies are not known for their wonderful special effects. Yeah, no. <laughs> uh, as a matter of fact, uh, I would say that Takashi Miike's movies famously have terrible special effects across the board. That's part of the charm. Yeah, I, I'd say so. Um, there's a, another triad member who has done a, a like 15 foot rail of cocaine up a ramp and warehouse is being driven around <laughs> and that, uh, Ryuchi shows up in his motorcycle, jumps on top of the car and just shotgun, shotgun straight through the top of the car. I, um, I, I noted, I made, I, uh, made a note in my notebook that, uh, even Scarface wouldn't do this much cocaine. Yeah, <laughs> but it's just crazy how much like all of these things going on in such a short amount of time, just right from the outset of the movie. And it all seems crazy. But when you go back and think about it, this is actually like it's it's 
it seems all disconnected, but putting it back, going back and putting it back together, you really see and understand what's going on. They're taking out these triad bosses to kind of get other criminals out of the way. Yeah, um, it's a lot to take in at, all at once. And I definitely, at first, just thought it was like kind of a montage to give you a feel for what the movie was going to be like, more than like something where you're actually following characters doing things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but then, then immediately after all this insane violence, the, the rest of the people who have been assassinating stuff show up, uh, to the back at the strip club that we've seen shots of as the, the Yakuza bosses are leaving. And it's revealed that the, uh, the three assassins are kind of part of this like comedy act within the, uh, within the strip club where one of them is dressed as a clown throwing knives at one of them in bondage gear on a, on a spinning, uh, wheel that the other one is powering with a bicycle. And it spins faster and faster and faster as the clown throws the knives. And then all of a sudden it stops and, uh, Ryuichi is the one in the wheel instead of the, the previous one, which once again, just seems like gibberish, but then you realize that uh, looking back on it, you can really tell that this is signifying that really early on that Ryuji is the one tying them all together. Mm. And uh, there's a lot of really kind of bizarre, like magical realism stuff in this movie or straight up like David Lynch weird stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, ending aside, a lot of it makes a lot of sense. Uh, within the the context of like the, everything else in the movie, but uh, I kind of I kind of like that that reveal. Even though, like I said, the first time you watch this, it's just like a shotgun blast of information to the face, and none of it makes sense. Um, but but following all this, we get a a much slower scene of Detective Jojima, who has uh, kind of showed up at the assassination scene and of the noodle crime boss and is putting everything together back at his, uh, back at the police station where he's called to the, to the roof to speak to the police chief who, like I said, there's influence from David Lynch in this movie because this is straight up a David Lynch character of a police chief who just sits on the roof all day, carving flutes uh, and, and trying to discourage his, his officers from doing their job uh, as he kind of rambles about, balance and basically talking about letting the the criminals kill each other with a uh, with an intermediate uh kind of management above Jojima as well suggesting that they just kind of let this go on and then they're derailed into talking about a cop show as the as the the police chief just continues carving his flute mm-hmm. it's yeah, it's 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 so weird, but uh, Jojima is is dead set on, uh, as he says, he's a dog after a bone. He's dead set on getting these criminals. Yeah, I think the, I think I kind of liked the characterization of the police chief, just like doing his hobby on his own up on the roof. It really like very clearly illustrates uh, that he's kind of made it to a certain position in the force where he doesn't feel like his career, like his job's threatened. He could just kind of, you know, screw off and, uh, you know, and, and that his, it, it, it shows his apathy, I guess I should say very clearly. Yeah, he's just completely checked out. Yeah. 
Uh, next scene is uh, Ryuichi picking up his little brother from the airport who immediately asks to, to go visit mom. Uh, his little brother is some like fresh faced skateboarding kid. Uh, and, and this, this transition to visiting mom, uh, all of a sudden we're in a marsh flat with tilted gravestones and fog as far as the eye can see, uh, where his, the, the little brother, I believe his name is Toji is sitting there reading a letter to the mother, but he's reading it in Chinese, which is notable. Um, but he is, he's recounting his foreign education paid for by Ryuchi. Uh, and, uh, but the, the Chinese is significant because both, uh, we'll, we'll detail more later, uh, Ryuchi and, and his brother are half Chinese, uh, half Japanese. And, uh, their, their mother was a war or orphan from Pacific war who grew up in Japan. Um, uh, and, and that's, uh, ties in a lot as well as to why the graveyard is in this weird marsh flat instead of a proper graveyard, because there's, there's kind of signified there's no proper place for these kinds of people. They just have to, to get to play, get into the places no one else wants to be. Yeah. Um, but soon after that, uh, the rest of their friends, the rest of the assassins from the, from the opening scene scenes show up to have a weird party in this swamp graveyard. <laughs> I love, um, I really love this setting, actually. It's so weird and, and like, it's like ethereal. It, it, uh, <laughs> it doesn't look like this place could exist anywhere on Earth. Um, and yet they're out here just being absolutely stupid. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're drinking and playing around. Um, and, and you get the, this, real sense that this is kind of like uh, the, the kid's real family and that uh, Ryuichi is kind of like the patriarch of this group now. Um, and you get a couple good good close-ups of like Riki kind of making or, or uh, uh, Ryuichi making faces uh, that I really like. Really fun drinking game. Take a drink every time he makes a face. I know. Just like any close-up on him, is they're all going to be great. Uh, to contrast this, we go to Jojima's family where he is sleeping on the couch uh, in the morning. His daughter is taking pills for what will be revealed as a uh, some kind of heart sickness. Um, and his wife uh, uh, shows up and asks him to stop sleeping on the couch and come sleep in the bed. And so you get the sense that, like, his daughter is kind of checked out because she's sick and upset about it. His wife is is concerned about how they're going to pay for this expensive surgery she needs, and just everything is super strained. Uh, and then we go from there to the uh, to a really gross scene that I had honestly forgot about since I guess I'd blocked it out of my mind since the last time I'd watched the movie over a decade ago where uh, Jojima is trying to find leads on what happened to these triad that were assassinated and goes to to a building where he meets up with a pornographer who is making bestiality porn. Uh, yeah, I didn't and, remember this part <laughs> when I, uh, from when I first saw it. 
And and the fact that it adds nothing to the scene, I, I know that Mike has a lot of sensibilities as being just a provocateur and putting transgressive things into his movies, like just literally just for the shock value. And it's occasionally frustrating because he's such a talented director that I feel like a lot of his movies, the, the kind of shock value stuff he puts in sometimes actually distract, and especially in this one. Mm-hmm. But... uh but yeah, it's just a, a short scene uh, with gross stuff going on in the background as uh, Jojima gets a tip uh, about what's going on. Uh, we cut from here to the uh, a triad boss and Yakuza bosses trying to cut a deal about trading drugs and talking about what's happened. Uh, this is another interesting where it's like a one-two back and forth shot, but uh, like I said he likes to keep the camera kind of far away. So the one, two, instead of over the shoulder just has figures completely interposed between the camera. Um, but he tells a little pair, uh, the Japanese Yakuza tells a parable about a clam and crab fighting when a seagull swoops in and he's already like figured out kind of what's going on. Uh, and is warning the triad boss when Jojima busts in and puts both gangs on notice that he is both investigating and that the not going to let the police uh, be pushed around by the gangs anymore. Uh, something cute in the scene is the uh, Chinese triad boss uses who has a translator uses like a tiny bit of Japanese that he knows to tell Jojima that his coffee tastes delicious. <laughs> Um, we go from there to, uh, Ryuichi's gang pulling off this cool bank heist, uh, which this is another scene that, uh, kind of reminded me of heat, um, where they're just all set up in different roles in different places. And then you get, uh, they, they execute perfectly on it. And then you get this cool slow-mo walking away shot as they are lugging these huge briefcases full of money. Uh, another another real badass Ryuichi uh, appearance, and then uh, Ryuichi shoots a passing bike cop, and uh, things get slightly out of control. And one of their uh, one of their gang members goes missing once they get to the car. Uh, there's a interspersed shot of Jojima going back to the back at the police station. Uh, being reminded once again of balance by his uh, by the intermediate intermediate superior officer, which I feel like that that is both uh, in 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 story telling him to kind of leave the situation alone, let's sort itself out, but thematically kind of reminding Jojima to have balance in his life between his work and his family. Mm. But uh, we cut back to to. Uh, uh, the one of the the game gang members Hitoshi who ran away after the heist with the money, and uh, Ryu's gang or Ryuichi's gang has realized this, and then they go to confront him because they know where he's gone. Hitoshi has given the money to his mom, who is Chinese, and always talked about returning to China. But once he gives her the money, uh, he realizes that her desire to to return there is not not genuine uh shortly thereafter uh, go ahead oh no i was just just saying yeah yeah there's this sort of like conversation where she's just kind of like well that's just a thing i say but i have all my friends here and you know, yeah 
Um, but yeah, once again, like all these characters have, have difficulty with their identity as uh, half Chinese, half Japanese. Um, but uh, he steps outside for a minute and gets confronted with the gang or by the gang, uh, specifically by the, the one who uh, is the gang member. It doesn't use their names in the film until like, uh, I think a couple of them use their names once, but I generally refer to them by what weapon they like to use. <laughs> but uh, the, the one that likes to use uh, hand grenades confronts him outside and talks to him for a little bit while the rest of the gang uh, is waiting a little further away. But uh, we cut to them. We get a this really kind of like low-key subdued uh, scene of them just kind of hanging out, talking. The one, the knife thrower gives, talks about how one day he's going to become a god. Uh, it oh. seems very delusional. Uh, and I, I'd like to point out that uh, Mike, uh, in very different pacing to beat Takeshi, also really likes to alternate between frenetic, high speed, fast paced scenes and these kind of like long, slower scenes. Uh, this, the slower scenes are a little shorter and the action scenes are a lot longer, but he still likes to, to kind of play with the pacing a lot, which I, I find to be interesting. And, uh, he, he does a lot with it visually as well, taking a, a lot of these, like I said, kind of posted up far back scenes, zoomed out static shots, and we'll just hold on them for a long time. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I definitely like the closest movie that this was giving me vibes from the, of what we've watched is Sonatine for sure. Um, there's a kind of interesting comparison between uh, Beat Takeshi and yeah. <laughs> Takashi Miike. Yeah. yeah. And and I think that goes, like I said, it's, it's not just because they're both like crime movies, but the the a lot of the sensibilities and sense of pacing, even though they're still very different filmmakers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of wasn't expecting to feel that similarity uh, going in. It might be just a Yakuza thing. Uh, just Yakuza movies typically, uh, I think you need a sort of uh, like a patient pace to them in order to fully grasp the, uh, like what's happening, I think. At the very mm-hmm. least, that's 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 how I feel about them. But uh, so, uh, the Hitoshi, the gang member that ran off with the money, shows up to the rest of the group, uh, and uh, he he initially tries to apologize and plead with them, and Ryuichi kind of talks about how Hitoshi betrayed them and. Really, it's it's that, like I said, they, they have this kind of makeshift family that they've put together, and the fact that uh, Hitoshi has betrayed this family is something that Ryuichi decides is unforgivable, and Hitoshi eventually tries to run for it, and uh, uh, Ryuichi just whips out his gun and shoots him. And we have a short reaction shot from all, like, you... you it stays on the shot long enough to see everybody's reaction before it cuts to the next one. But something I like about that whole scene is like I said, it's one static shot of 
of them just all talking for eight an extremely long time without changing the scene. And it's framed. Uh, so, you know, that like something it, it's likely that, that something is going to go on to, to the left of the scene, which eventually does when Hitoshi runs for it. But, uh, I, I really like the composition. Uh, uh, after the, after that, we see their reactions. It cuts again to Jojima sleeping on a bed who gets awoken in the middle of the night by his wife, who's walking in the kitchen, who didn't realize he was there. His wife's still worried about uh, getting surgery for their daughter and gets a, an unexpected phone call, which she is weird about and is very clearly from somebody she had an affair with at some point, which Jojima kind of realizes and then goes back to sleep. Uh, we then see Jojima having, having a meal with the photographer, another interestingly framed shot through a kind of window or doorway uh, across the opposite building of it's Jojima's back. Uh, and, and you can see the pornographer talking and it, it's another just kind of subdued scene of them talking about uh, both the food they're eating and then, then what's going on. And the pornographer tells him to go find uh, Kaku at a specific restaurant um, and then, uh, as Jojima leaves the scene, we, it, the camera tries kind of tracks him through the building, even though you can't see him and then follows him as he walks out the front door down the alley from the high vantage point that it, it's been holding, which is, uh, I, I believe a shot where we will see happen. I think two more times, uh, Jojima calls his partner, uh, in a way who brings his kid along and, uh, this is Susumu Terajima's character, who's kind of like a beloved or lovable partner, mm-hmm. who just happens to have a kid with him. And uh, this is the first time I noticed there's a lot of scenes uh, in the film that are predominantly red, and then a lot that are predominantly green. And this is the first like really bright green scene I noticed. And I I had a hard time telling if they were thematically significant, but it it stood out to me because the, both the, the reds and the greens, especially in this, like seem to be highlighted or the rest of the scene seems to be lit to kind of inf- influence from those colors. But, uh, that's interesting. but I've yet to tell any kind of like thematic significance to it aside from they're just like the, a lot of the scenes in Kabuki Cho, have a lot more red, which like things around there just are red, but a lot of the, the scenes there and a lot of the back alley scenes and more of the open and civilian spaces tend to be the green ones. But, uh, it cuts from the green scene back to red scenes and alleys, which, uh, uh, they're, they're now in a Chinese Chinatown going to a restaurant as Jojima goes to a back alley kitchen window asking for Kaku and uh, there's another kind of like David Lynch esque character who says uh, all of us are Kaku in here. (laughs) Yeah. I liked that. (laughs) I'm not sure what, what necessarily that means. Um, I interpreted it as like lots of people send people for like messages and hidden things to this restaurant and depending on who you're <laughs> who you need to talk to they could all be kaku because they all Good. have different information or whatever gotcha um so he, he says the pornographer sent him and then he says oh i'm the one you're looking for then and then we get this kind of like 
David Lynch style dialogue of him speaking in riddles about having, uh, the, the cook says he's been there before since before, uh, uh, Joe was born and talks about uh, the taste of, of 5,000 years. And it's basically giving him just a big riddle to like come inside and eat the food. But See, uh, now, th- now this is a, uh, this is very typical of Mike in terms of just like how, uh, not just as a director, but in the types of movies that he directs, uh, characters tend to do this kind of weird thing. Um, uh, you know, they speak in hyperbole or riddle and stuff like that, and it's 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 kind of uh, kind of weird the first time you watch it, and then you kind of get it the more the more you revisit it. Which I I do like the obfuscation kind of strangeness to it, and he he. I don't know how much of that is his own sensibility, but he does list David Lynch as a uh, as one of his his favorite filmmakers. So mm. it's possible he he picked it up partially through there. Uh, this is also the first part of the movie that I realized that Jojima's glasses that he wears constantly have like the word "police" cut out into the side. Oh, <laughs> that's interesting. Which, yeah, I don't know if they had those specially made for the movie just because he thought they would cool they would be cool or if those are things that existed that they just happened to get. Yeah. But uh but once again we have uh, a scene where people are talking about the kind of the the whole movie is the the setup is it's the triads and Yakuza trying to cooperate. And the the main antagonist characters are half Chinese, half Chinese, half Japanese. We're at a Japanese restaurant, presumably run by half Chinese Japanese people, because they're familiar with who Ryuichi is. And it's in, uh, according to the commentary, the scene is in Yokohama's Chinatown. Hmm. Um, but uh, the chef comes out and uh, feeds Inoue's kids some food. Uh, after the kid had complained previously about it being too salty. But uh, the chef comes out and tells Jujima about Ryuichi and his gang. Um, and then we get a a really neat scene uh, where this is another thing that, that Mikei likes to do, where he has uh, two significant characters who have not actually crossed paths sharing the same space without realizing it. Uh, but we have Jojima and walking down the street who, and then we see Ryuichi coming down the opposite direction and they kind of bump past each other and uh, unwittingly, but then Jojima kind of like feels something and looks to the sky for a minute. And uh, it's, it's portentous, but he, he, they don't know who each other are yet. Mm-hmm. Um. Then we go to uh, Ryuichi and his younger brother talking kind of about the gang because his younger brother is is upset about him uh, killing Hitoshi for, for betraying everyone uh, because uh, Ryuichi's younger brother is a soft boy, not used to the kind of hard, brutal lifestyle of the gangs that they're in. And uh, he, he balks at uh, Ryuichi's explanation and, and runs off upset uh, we get a short scene of Jojima driving down the street calling to check on his daughter with uh, with Inoue and his son sleeping adorably in the back 
and then uh, another scene in Yokohama about with uh, Ryuichi on uh, shipping boats going to visit a dealer from Taiwan about the new drug connection, which is the, is, is the main crux of the movie. The, this new Taiwanese drug connection is coming in. And we find out here that it's supposed to, to go to the cooperating triad and and Yakuza, but it's really up for grabs if Ryuichi wants to take care of the competition himself. But uh, the uh, the guy running this gives a revolver to a an adrenaline junkie to play Russian roulette with Ryuichi to see if he's, I guess, worthy. Uh, and, and once again, we get another one of these kind of distant, far back static shots because inside the shipping container is just one long shot of the holds on the same view. Mm-hmm. Uh, and very dramatically, the junkie, the adrenaline junkie, takes uh, two shots at Ryuichi and then one at himself and hands him over the gun. Uh, Ryuichi takes or does uh, three unflinching shots on himself revealing that there's uh, no bullet in the gun. Uh, and then the uh, the connection approves and basically tells him that it's, it's up to you to eliminate the competition. And then the junkie takes the gun back, shoots himself with a seventh time, and uh, shoots himself in the head with a bullet, which is another one of these like bizarre magical realism things since revolvers generally have... Six chambers. Yeah. You weren't expecting that seventh chamber to have a... <laughs> Not so fast. Seven aces. Um, uh, Ryuichi then goes out to... Uh, back to the strip club to tell the uh, female gang member that they're, they need to take out the Yakuza and test her with keeping an eye on them. Uh, since she's in kind of a unique situation to do so, but she seems very concerned on, about doing that. And as kind of a bizarre throwaway line mentions Saru for not having had the baby with Ryuichi, suggesting they had a, a previous relationship that kind of went some weird places. But uh, uh, Ryuichi just kind of shrugs it off and walks out the door, since he's he's clearly got other things on his mind right now. Uh, once again, Jojima goes to talk to the pornographer again, and uh, we get uh, a, a little background on uh, Ryuichi. His his mother was a war orphan, and Ryuichi became a street tough. His father died when he was 16, and uh, we have Jojima and Inoue going around kind of asking in the old neighborhood about Ryuichi when they run across some guys on the back of the truck, just some laborers. This is where the we, the uh, Afro guy played by Tamaru Taguchi comes in, who uh, apparently he had... Uh, there's a lot of impro- improv- improvisation that went on in this film, and uh, this scene is, is one of them. And he... Uh, Taguchi gets his jacket kind of caught up on some equipment on the truck, and it's just really funny... Uh, is, he's just got good business going on while he talks to Jojima and Inoue as he's tangled up with this equipment on his jacket. But they're telling them about what a hero is to uh, Ryuichi for everybody in the neighborhood because they're all uh, uh, Japanese, Chinese, kind of trapped between these two worlds. 
um, when uh, when all of a sudden they ask who who these guys are that are asking, then they identify themselves as police, and both uh, laborers kind of shoot off, and we get a a static shot of Taguchi just running down train tracks, really comedically with white gloves and this big afro. And I have no idea what that's what kind of significance that's supposed to have, other than <laughs> Mike thought it looked funny. The pornographer goes to take pictures of Ryuichi to give to Jojima in another one of these tracking alley shots. Uh, Jojima gets pictures and now identifies what uh, Ryuichi looks like, so you can find him. While the uh, the woman gang member becomes a hostess who is uh, immediately recognized from the strip club by the uh, by one of the Yakuza bosses who takes her in and calls for the manager and she has a an extreme look of concern on her face uh, going back uh, Ryuichi has been brought into the police station into this what looks like an interrogation closet mm-hmm. where uh, Jojima and and in a kind of try to threaten him. They, they talk about all the information they have. They've identified the rest of his gang. They know he's responsible for the heist. Uh, knows that the, the Yakuza are, are going to be after him. Uh, Ryuichi, cool as a cucumber, just kind of threatens Jojima's family back to him. Uh, but the scene is really interesting because it's, uh, uh, the way it's framed, uh, and they went into detail on this in the commentary, comparing this to the scene in Heat where uh, De Niro and Pacino meet. And it's just kind of like a one-two shot over the shoulder in that case. Whereas this, you have these uh, really, intra- once again, pulled kind of pulled back shots where a lot of them have uh, both Sho Aikawa and uh, Riki Takeuchi's face facing the camera at the same time. And uh, it kind of builds up back and forth with these increasingly kind of claustrophobic shots until you finally get the close-ups of uh, of both Ryuichi and Jojima kind of mad-dogging each other until Inoue loses it uh, and and grabs Ryuichi trying to fight him when uh, Jojima pulls him off and is like and to, to calm him down, but. Then they give their their best best death glares, and when Jojima declares, "I'll get you right in the end," uh, and then we transition to the other really really disgusting scene of the movie, where oh boy, yeah, yeah, the uh, the mob boss Aoki has uh, drugged up the woman gang member, and she is laying in a kiddie pool full of her own waste from enemas having been drugged and, and uh, sexually abused by the entire gang. Uh, and this, this disgusting scene is under, is undercut by uh, the mob boss giving this really long diatribe about mortality and the kind of the flaws of being human versus being a God. And it's this, really weird introspective dialogue over this absolutely disgusting tragic scene 
and the I, I understand the juxtaposition, but it's I, I feel like the disgust of a woman laying nude in a kiddie pool full of of waste yeah, it's, it's is rubbish. yeah it it's just yeah. it too rough. disgusting. It was rough for me for sure, and then for him to just like finally drown her in it. Yeah, like really. Uh, you know, I hate to like sound like a prude or whatever, but like, I mean, I get it, but like, uh, I just, that's the kind of thing that Mike throws in that makes me, uh, like not be able to fully embrace a lot of his movies. Uh, things like this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, much. So from there we get a scene of, uh, Jojima's daughter getting a heart scan at the hospital. And uh, something else brought up in the commentary that Jojima's daughter, even though she has almost no dialogue in in the entire movie, has some really good characterization throughout of all of her scenes with like how pouty and aloof she tends to be with her parents. And this scene is one of the most telling where after she comes out of getting the the heart scan or whatever, her mother is waiting worried in the hallway. And instead of walking up to her mom, she just walks stands there for a second and then keeps walking without saying anything or really acknowledging her mother. And, uh, it's just kind of like brutal that, that she's that disconnected from, from her parents who are obviously even as, as busy as her dad is both, both her parents obviously care for her a lot. Yeah. There's a lot of emotional distance kind of going all three ways in that family. Yeah. And and even though like even though Jojima's wife clearly had an affair at some point of, of some description, like she gen- it seems she generally wants him to like be back in her bed and be part of her life again. So it's like even though there's this cold distance, and there's some other stuff with his daughter later that show that there's there's still some like affection there. It's just been pushed away so hard. Mm-hmm. But uh, interspersed between these scenes of Jojima's family, we also get the uh, the shot of the woman gang member's dead body laying in the alley, covered in uh, newspapers and trash. And then going back to a shot of the Jojima household, where uh, he and his wife are once again discussing the cost of the surgery, which the movie says will be 20 million yen, which I don't know what the... The, the exchange rate was in 1999, but modern day, that's about $180,000, which is pretty expensive on a policeman's salary just yeah. to come up with. Um, but but he, Jojima keeps promising to find a way to, to take care of his daughter. Um, and as... Uh, and once again, we, we have these shots interspersed with the woman from the gang with Jojima's daughter because the Ryuchi's gang has found found her and uh, is is doing a rooftop bonfire to cremate her body. And Ryuchi uh, in this shot is is he's almost always square with the camera. But he's either facing directly at it or f- facing directly away. And in the shot, he's facing directly away from the bonfire. He can't he can't bring himself to look at at this woman that was an important part of his life, who's who's now dead. Uh, 
and also the the idea that this was part of his plan to to kind of like carve out their criminal empire is now done. Uh, and then, then after that, we get a shot of Jojima's daughter crying alone by herself on the stairs, showing that she is not as disaffected as she tries to be. She is obviously like upset and affected by her condition, even though she refuses to acknowledge to her parents. Uh, then we get a bunch of rapid fire scenes of Jojima just cracking down on Yakuza as hard as he can, beating up dudes in alleys, uh, closing down gambling dens. Uh, arresting a uh, a pimp for prostitution in another kind of like gross scene that I won't get into. Um, but yeah, he's he's just doing all these crackdowns on crime to the point where he uh, it it's unclear if he if he arranged this meeting or if he was summoned. But uh, Jojima goes to meet with the mob boss in person uh, in uh, Kabuki Cho to kind of talk about what was going on and Jojima like obliquely threatens the, the mob boss and says he knows that he's kind of in charge, but uh, my boss just wants him to knock it off and they barter a deal for uh, my boss to loan Jojima the 20 million yen he needs for his daughter showing that like, finally he's, he's taking, his family more seriously than he is his job. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, he, he's kind of like finally putting it together that he needs to, to bring his family back together while uh, Ryuichi's family is kind of falling apart. Uh, we go to see Ryuichi's younger brother at the university helping a, a professor with Ryuichi in the back waiting for him uh, going to a scene outside by a sports field where Ryuichi and his brother talk for a while. And, and his younger brother tells him that just because uh, he learned in America that just because you're a minority or grew up in bad situation doesn't mean that you have to be involved in crime. Uh, but uh, Ryuichi kind of gets that, that even though his brother kind of grew up in a different way, that, he it's too late for him and like his life, like Ryuchi's life is, is crime. There's no going back from that. And, uh, he just kind of wanders off and his younger brother cries out for him. There's another one of those scenes that is like strikingly green. Like, I don't know if it was the, the, the specific film print or whatever, but the, the leaves in these scenes are just like crazy bright green. Uh, uh, following that, uh, so Ryuichi's family is falling apart and Jojima is, is coming together. He takes his family out to celebrate that they have money for, for this surgery. Um, his daughter is still kind of pouty, but is, is kind of starting to warm up that they're they're getting together as family. While this is going on, uh, there's a big Yakuza and Triad cooperation celebration that Ryuichi's gang gets into uh, that Inoue is tailing and tries to call Jojima, but Jojima's daughter has taken apart his phone to like mess with it, but she's actually talking to him for once. Uh, so he doesn't get the call. We see that uh, the intermediate police superior is there at the party as well. And in league with the Yakuza as the boss yells at him for not knocking Jojima off the, off the trail. 
when all of a sudden Ryuchi's gang bursts in and starts shooting in like the it may be less crazy, but the longest, most intense uh, scene of violence in the movie would just massacring everybody. There is a person in a giant bird mascot suit. Yeah, I wanted I, I <laughs> wanted to make sure that we brought this up because this is very important. <laughs> yeah, it's just somebody in a random, uh, random like ibis costume or something that uh, gets killed shooting feathers all up into the air. Which the best, my favorite part about the mascot getting killed is it shoots from one scene of when they first get shot to the next scene of them getting shot. They are all of a sudden standing on top of this giant dining table. I know, just it's out of amazing. nowhere. Uh, but from then on, there are just feathers filling the air. Yeah, it's in so the funny. initial scene of them dining, that the mascot's like standing in the background, and it, for a second, I was just like, "Wait, what was that?" And then to have it <laughs> like immediately kind of pay off in once they start fighting, that it's like up on the table and like a, it has a big target on it or something, and they're just like yeah. massacring <laughs> it. I had a feeling um, that you were gonna bring that the the big bird up. Uh, Joey, yeah, like I, uh, I don't know why. I just, uh, <laughs> I'm like this is the of anything in this movie. This is what's up his alley the most. Um, <laughs> apparently, a, a lot of times people inside the production will just pitch something to to Mike that he decides that he likes the sound of it and will try to like put it in the movie somehow. And so he just he got somebody gave him the idea of like we need feathers in this scene. I guess they've been watching a lot of John Woo or something, right. and he was like, "Well, we got to get feathers. I guess put somebody in a bird costume." Yeah, it's funny because uh, I was going to mention this eventually, but like I kind of like l- like lumped this in in my mind with uh, John Woo's Hong Kong action movies. Uh, just because I think I saw it around video rental places around the same time that like Hard Boiled and the Killer and stuff was kind of big, and then to get the slow motion feather scene, but in this ridiculous way, was uh, very very <laughs> satisfying. <laughs> yeah, that's really good. Um, but it's a, a pretty fun action scene. Uh, cutting back to Jojima finally getting the call t- from Inoue, who tells Inoue to wait, not go in without him. Uh, we get a bizarre scene of the corrupt policeman getting tracked down by the knife thrower, and he accidentally like batters and deep fries his hand. Mm. Uh, in in another like, Mike just wanted this to happen because <laughs> he thought it was funny. Um, just made me hungry. <laughs> yeah, I I do like the touch of just like the one little shrimp tail poking out when after he does that. <laughs> yeah. Um. But uh, he's he's he is then killed, uh, and uh, Ryuichi is is about to fight the triad boss who is armed with the with a sword. Like a but, yeah, uh, but he, I think it's a some kind of traditional Chinese sword, but I'm unfamiliar with the name. Uh, but yeah, this is very big and curved. Uh, but Ryuichi is out of bullets when all of a sudden his younger brother shoots the triad boss even though he was he's nonviolent and was trying to forsake the the criminal ways he shows up to save his brother somehow knowing that this was where he would be in this exact moment and also somehow getting a gun but uh but uh following that in a way busts into the room trying to uh stop the criminals only to realize that he is woefully outnumbered 
And after trying to, after talking to him for a moment, the, the gang is like, yeah, let's just shoot him. Uh, and gun down poor Inoue who, but as he is dying, gets one shot off, which shoots Ryuichi's younger brother, uh, uh, killing him. And I really like the, the incredibly slow reveal on the gunshot. Like it's very clear once, once, uh, anyway, gets the shot off what's going to have happened, but you get a close up on the younger brother's face where the lighting just kind of, uh, slowly changes from even to Churisguro blocking out part of his face. And then it very slowly pans down to reveal the blood and bullet hole on his shirt when uh, uh, Ryuichi like dives down to catch him, but it's too late. Following this, Jojima finally arrives after everything is over and the gang has already escaped and finds Inoue, which is, is visibly like broken up over his, his partner dying as cold yeah. as Jojima tends to be throughout the movie. Um, and, and this is another pulled back shot that's mostly static. It does pan at one point, but Jojima is really upset when all of a sudden the mob boss uh, climbs his way out from under a pile of bodies unscathed and uh, sees Jojima there and is kind of relieved, uh, but then quickly realizes the situation that he's in, uh, tries to tell Jojima that he doesn't have to pay back that $20 million loan uh, and it takes Jojima a minute to realize the situation, but as soon as he does, immediately shoots the mob boss, hmm. uh, which then does a like close-up square shot of Jojima uh, down the barrel of his gun, which I think looks pretty badass. Uh, we go back to Ryuichi now burying his younger brother next to his parents in the Marsh Flats in what might be my favorite's like single if i was doing a screen screen grab this might be my favorite shot of the movie of just the two remaining gang members and then ryuchi square with the camera in the center frame just staring distraught um yeah yeah that you know we mentioned that earlier that that setting is so striking anyway yeah it's just like the, the fog makes it so it just kind of seems like it just stretches on forever. It looks endless. Like it could be the afterlife or something. Yeah. Yeah. It's very haunting. Um, and in this moment of sadness, it then cuts to the Taiwanese drug connection and the hold of the ship swinging excitedly because they finally like, uh, the, the, the deal is finally done on who he's going to be shipping these drugs to. And then another great, very green scene of a train station of Jojima giving condolences to Inoue's wife and child. Uh, with he he just looks kind of crestfallen, really low shoulders, looking looking like he doesn't know what to say. But uh, but she's kind of puts it close to the chest, and then they just wander off. And the pornographer comes around a corner to tell the tell Jojima about the incoming drugs to Yokohama. We get this weird weird scene of a bunch of dudes. St- hanging out in this boat that's smuggling drugs and they're all eating bananas and puking everywhere. Yeah. I kind of love that. scene. (laughs) (laughs) After these like intense emotional scenes, just this like comedy gross out eating bananas and puking. 
Yeah, it was like, who are these guys? <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I think this level of like gross out kind of provocateur stuff, like undercutting those emotional scenes with something this strange, I think I'm okay with this. Like it. Yeah, I mean, it's the uh, there's a difference in attitude. Like the the stuff with the like poop bath was kind of like sadistic and feels very like um. Like it, I don't know. Yeah, it, it feels exploitative and exploitative. And this is silly. And this, and even even like you know, obviously, uh, like bestiality porn is like horrible, and that would be abuse to the dog as well as the the other people involved. But like that in itself was like it didn't linger on it too much, and it was kind of like served the purpose of being kind of like, oh, he's really dealing with some low down guys, you know, and it was kind of brief, but I don't know. The poop bath was too much for me. Yeah. We, uh, you know, we have a really good track record on this podcast of watching movies that feature bananas somewhat prominently. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't even thought of that. Banana, it's good. Banana. Um, but yeah, the, the, they eventually get to the docks where the police are waiting and, and make a bust, uh, uh, Ryuichi is watching from nearby and the along with the hand grenade guy who looks on in disbelief uh, who like he, he he's like do you want me to go get him and immediately pulls the pin out of a hand grenade which is never revisited and I'm like does he can you just stick the pin back in one of those like d- does he just like hold on to it for a while and throw it off into a field for funsies like what do you do with that yeah. is that is that something you can do with a grenade? Like, can you put the pin back in, or is it just like guns? I don't know enough. I, I think that depending on the the mechanism, it makes sense that you might be able to fit it back in there. But yeah, I, I that's not something you want to like have to work out after you've done it. Yeah, I feel like I've seen in this sort of like cartoony instance someone like struggling to put the cartoon the the pin back in, and then maybe then if you release it, it it'll be all right. But I don't know. Probably not safe mm. to try. Uh, but the end of <laughs> the end of that scene, I think, is my favorite uh, Ricky Takeuchi face in the entire movie. He's just like intensely furious, <laughs> but but not quite yet cartoonish the way he gets later. Yeah, yeah like right after, right like as he's watching uh, the banana get eaten, like it's that that we, that scowl. Yeah, just like how say. dare you. Yeah, like I should be eating that banana. <laughs> <laughs> um, the next scene is uh, Jojima eating lunch at his police desk, which the entire police station at this point is kind of lit green, so is his desk. Uh, but it's a very mundane scene. Like a, a secretary comes and tells him some stuff and knocks over his pens. Um, but his family are there waiting for him, asking if they can borrow the car for shopping but to get his daughter ready for her surgery trip. And uh, things are an upswing. Like the daughter makes some small talk about how she's disgusted by the prostitutes they're bringing in, which is a weird choice, but like signifies that his daughter is actually willing to communicate with him now. Um, but uh, everybody, his wife seems pretty upbeat. His daughter is communicating again and everything seems super cool. And he walks outside to see them off. And as soon as they, uh, they get in the car and turn it on, it explodes because Ryuichi has set a car bomb for Jojima that now has uh, has now killed his family instead. 
And when I was first watching this, I don't know why, but with everything, especially with everything else in the movie, but uh, his actual family getting killed uh, was just like super shocking to me. Mm-hmm. Just the idea that the movie would go there. And I was, I, in retrospect, I don't understand why, because the movie is obviously not holding back in any other aspect. Well, but it's a kind I think, of cartoonishly huge explosion. Well, too. Yeah. Very sudden. I, <laughs> well, I think the reason you feel that way though, is that because that element of the movie is, I think the only real movie that has like heart to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, the movie has been, like at that point you're like i don't know a good hour and a half into the movie and you've been following jojima and his family kind of throughout this whole story so and like that's like the one i think that's the one emotional thing that you can actually cling on to in this movie so when you know when you see his family die you know that's that's kind of important uh it's kind of a it, it's that's where the emotional stakes have been upped um mm-hmm. And I think it, this movie needed that too. Otherwise, it would have just been this weird, just like uh, really weird, really violent Yakuza movie that you know has a whole bunch of wacky shit in it. Yeah, it's interesting. The other kind of like emotional points that I could point to are his partner dying because of the sort of sweet scene of him and his kid, and Ryuichi's brother kind of being pulled in from academia and being shot and killed. Yeah, so it's the the family ties definitely like stand out emotionally in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think I, I may have had more sympathy towards Rishi's gang than you did, but like, yeah, it is it is a very like big seeming kind of like tone shift in narrative because this is one of the parts of the movie that had been more kind of like serious and much more grounded mm-hmm. to have that swept out from under you, and like I was. I was still in shock in the next scene when Jojima is coming down the stairs holding the boxes with both of his, uh, with his family's re- like cremated remains in it. Where I was like, "Wait, did 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 that just happen? Like, yeah, what is going on?" Yeah, I um, I made a note in my notes that when he's walking downstairs, it looks like he's carrying two big takeout things of KFC. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, they just, they, they look like office supply boxes to me. Yeah. Most. Um, <laughs> Clean at your desk. Yeah. <laughs> I was so confused the first, I was, like I said, I was just kind of in shock, but, uh, this is another scene. they got super bright green leaves off to the side and you, you can watch his face going through kind of like realization and regret in the scene as he realizes that that, that was meant for him and that this, he's the reason that his family is now dead. And we get another one of these kind of like weird magical realism, like low key scenes uh, where he opens, I think it's his daughter's ashes and then sifts, sifts through them, lets them spill out of his hand and they are bright, bright red. Mm -hmm. And I haven't been able to figure out the significance of that either. I was wondering if that is, if ashes do appear that color, if that was a... They do uh, not. No, that's definitely a choice. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely stood out. Uh, You've done a very good job so far in in noticing uh, the use of color throughout the movie and the significance of color in particular scenes. Mm -hmm. It's interesting that the ashes red in that case. 
yeah, I just wish I could do a better, better job of like piecing together why those choices are made and what they mean. They um, seem, they do seem deliberate. Yeah. But uh, my, my initial kind of feeling was that the green scenes are, are more like kind of civilian spaces and, and, less away from the crime, but, uh, that, that gets upended slightly in the, the, uh, last scene in the movie, which we're about to get to. But, uh, uh, after sifting through these ashes, he goes and resigns to the police chief who is still on the roof making his flutes. And his initial reaction isn't, is, is one to ask like, Oh, do you have something else lined up or are you, you going to come back? Uh, which Jojima is like, I got to work through this for a while. And then he's immediately like, you should go relax at a, at hot spring or something. And she's just very blase about the entire thing. And just like, so weird and otherwise focused on his flutes. Uh, but then next we get to the, uh, kind of final scene of the movie, which is, uh, Ryuichi and his friends the last two game members, the hand grenade guy and the knife thrower, are in a car together talking about what they're going to do. One of them is going to stay behind uh, to, to kind of hold things down there. And two of them are going to Taiwan to see what work they can find. Uh, and this, this entire scene, there's a lot of green. It's in a big, big field full of plants, but the entire scene also has an orange tint to it. So it's a kind of weird combination of both green and red in the same scene. But I, I don't know if that means anything or if they just happen to shoot it in at like dusk and it just turned out that way. Mm-hmm. Um, the car pulls up and stops once they see Jojima at the end of the, the kind of path that they're driving down and uh, who Jojima gets in his car and the two cars play chicken, but the knife guy, knife throwing guy swerves the last second, wrecks the car uh, with another car that just happens to be there because this field is full of cars randomly. Uh, the gang all pours out of the wrecked car, looking kind of worse for wear. When Jojima drives full speed at them, uh, the grenade hand grenade throwing guy throws one grenade, which doesn't it goes off before the car gets there, and then just leaps into the window of the car with a pulled grenade, exploding it and launching it like hundreds of feet into the air. Which uh, one of my favorite parts of this entire scene is as the car is flying up, the knife throwing guy throws a knife at it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, well, he's got, the, like he's, he's got a job to do. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like you throwing a knife at an exploded car. Good job. <laughs> um, but then after the wreckage lands, uh, the knife throwing guy goes to look for the remains of the, the hand grenade guy who he names here for the first time, I believe is, uh, Hoshiyama. And it's like looking at his remains, picks up his hand. And when all of a sudden he's shot from behind and Jojima rolls his way out of the car, uh, stands up. It's revealed that he was actually hit in the gut by the knife, Yeah, this which is, is my, it's like becoming more and more clear that this is becoming an anime. Yeah, yeah. this is, this is the part where it is very clear that things are completely off the rails, which I just <laughs> love that. I'm like, why are you going to throw a knife at a car that's been exploded? And then I'm like, Oh, he actually hit the guy. Good job. The one thing I do enjoy about the exploding car scene is that none of it's in slow motion or anything. It's very much like in real time. Yeah. So it's just like, Oh, looks like a car just fell out of the sky. Like it's, 
Yeah, it, t- it like when I say hundreds of feet in the air, I'm I'm it doesn't actually track the car into the air. The car goes off the top of the screen and then like several seconds later falls back down. Like perpendicular with the earth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Um but uh oh you do get you do get a sense that things have changed t- uh tone-wise a little because when he shoots the knife thrower uh, he spins around and blood is just like shooting like a fire hose out of him every time mm-hmm. he shoots as he spins. Uh, but he rips, uh, Jojima rips the knife out of his gut. His arm is hanging by a thread, which he then rips his arm off. Yeah, that, <laughs> what a weird, like, what a weird scene. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know medically what would happen in this case. I like when he, the special effects are when he does it, there's like a big gush of blood and then nothing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's, it's time to stop asking those kinds of questions. (laughs) I mean, yeah, as much as you've like seen so far, like it's definitely not the weirdest thing that we've seen in this movie by a long shot. Um, but yeah, then they, they kind of look each other down whip their guns out and have a final shootout where they just repeatedly shoot each other with, with bullets, uh, emptying entire clips into each other. And they stand there for a moment and are about to fall, but immediately both of them before they completely collapse, go to one knee. And this is where you get the crazy Ricky Takeuchi faces of him just like crossing his eyes and gurgling and growling and snarling. And it's insane. <laughs> Yeah, when uh, this that that's the part where I kind of lost my mind the first time I was watching this. Like him getting out of the car and like ripping his arm off. I was just like, "This is going some places." But once once uh, Ryuichi is like cross-eyed with blood spurt like drooling out of his mouth, I was like, "What is going on?" Yeah, the uh, honestly. So this is I haven't watched this movie in a long time, and the only thing I remember about this movie is, is like the last like five minutes of it. <laughs> yeah, I, all I remembered was the was the beginning, the poop scene, and the last five minutes. And I was worried that this was going to be kind of like, uh, uh, kind of like the Zatoichi movie, where revisiting it, I was kind of disappointed. But like the. Uh, we we can get more about this in a minute, but I was I was pleasantly surprised at the content that was there that I had forgotten about. Um, uh, yeah, so I, yeah, you should. We're almost done, so yeah, totally. Yeah, like finish finish. Uh, <laughs> so we and then we'll talk about it. We get both of them kind of like mugging to the camera and rallying, and uh, when all of a sudden Jojima pulls a. Uh, rocket propelled grenade launcher out from nowhere on his back with his one arm, puts it on his shoulder. Uh, Ryuichi uh, hears his heart beating, reaches into his chest and pulls out a glowing ball of (laughs) indeterminate origin. Yeah. He throws it at Jojima who launches his rocket uh, both projectiles collide and we zoom out to space where we see the resulting explosion begin to engulf the entirety of Japan and maybe the planet. And the film ends. Yep. 
I, I yeah. remember I, how dumbfounded I was the first time I saw this movie, and that was the end of it. I was like, what? Yeah, I had <laughs> no words. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. It's it that was... cut. So, like, yeah, this is my first time seeing this movie. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, yeah, things were escalating and getting crazier and crazier. And then when he pulled the, the like, fireball out of his chest, or key blast, or whatever, uh, <laughs> Genki Dama, uh, <laughs> he, like... I I was like, wow! I cannot believe this is going here. But it was actually that cut from that to seeing Japan from a distance, and I knew that the sort of Akira style explosion was coming next. That I totally lost it at that. Point. <laughs> <laughs> um, two fun things. Uh, the the commentary kind of talks about how that last scene is supposed to symbolize the kind of. Uh, creative explosion of having Shoikawa and uh, Riki Takeuchi in the same movie. And which is why it's so like goofy and over the top because it's really just like them having fun with the concept there at the end. But also apparently uh, in uh, Ricky's house in Tokyo, he has a like giant thing over one of his doorways. That's supposed to be a physical rep physical replica of that. Like, energy ball oh man that's great yeah um yeah so like that's the thing right is that we're we've gotten very invested in these two characters and we keep kind of like being like oh man what is even going to happen when they meet and it almost does feel like Mike kind of throwing his hands up and being like there's nothing i could do to satisfyingly pay off what i've set up here you know like uh you've been waiting and waiting and waiting uh, and here it is it's explosions and explosions yeah it's not often that you get a movie that has this kind of payoff yeah i i I find it really interesting because i feel like by the time once once jojima's family is dead they're basically at the point where mike is like all right all of the actual movie of this that i have is done so Mm -hmm. we're just gonna play now because like like you said there's nowhere else to go from there because sure they're gonna have a showdown but like why would you do that in like some kind of boring mundane way when like we've got all the serious stuff out of the way? Why not just have fun with it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does seem like this sort of like logical step is to have them have the showdown and then they both die or something like that, you know, just from regular gunshot wounds, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, do you like I, I it does leave me with questions like, does this kind of decision negate the investment that you have in the sort of like serious, like real movie? Um, I don't know. Um, not a, I don't think it really does, but I mm-hmm. could see someone feeling that way. Yeah. Honestly, the, the ending takes me out a lot less than, than the other scenes that we've, the other problematic scenes that we've mm-hmm. talked, talked about. But I think like Mike could have sat down and done a very, good very serious crime movie and i like the parts of that that are in this but i like it better that it has all of this weird stuff and that crazy ending because like while uh, proficient as that would be and as much as i love him as a director i think that like it's so much more special that it has this insanity yeah for sure yeah i'm, I'm with you there too uh, and like I, I said oh go ahead yeah, I was. Uh, I would like to point out that um, 
for those of you who did watch this movie and are, are kind of turned off by Mike's style, uh, Mike and and that kind of content aren't really. He doesn't really have that kind of content in in, in his newer stuff. Uh, it's just a weird like era of movies uh, around that point where uh, where there's just really um, I, I call it depraved imagery. Um, Izo, uh, Visitor Q, uh, Visitor Q especially, um, those movies off the top of my head I can think of that have, um, really I don't know, I would argue, I saw 13 Assassins, and that's a more recent one yeah. of his movies, and that, big, like, very early on there's that sort of horrific scene with the woman with no arms and legs. Oh, right, and, yeah, yeah, and yeah. And he's naked, and so it, it's this, like, weird violent yet sexual like mixture and it's very like straightforward like it's shot very straightforward which is you know uh very shocking and intentionally so uh, yeah and i feel like that still is the kind of thing that like didn't necessarily have to be in that movie sure and gives it a weird uh i don't know it, it it like like scott mentions it being kind of distracting i feel like it does kind of end up overshadowing some of the other aspects of movies like this i i suppose oh. i actually forgot about that part and um compared to some of the other stuff that i've seen in his movies it it's <laughs> pretty tame mm-hmm. uh not to mention that uh, not to you know get us completely off topic but i think the cornerstone of 13 assassins is the is the climax of that movie sure um i would say it's not necessarily that his I I'm not that familiar with his more recent stuff, but it's it might not be that his more recent stuff has less of that. It's that he had he's such a prolific director. He's uh, directed over a hundred films. I don't know what he's what number he's up to at this point, but he still directs a lot of V cinema stuff as well. And but he he's also directed like kind of family movie stuff, and he's got an incredible range of things that he produces. So not all of it is going to be like the crazy exploitation style stuff, but he does like doing that mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah. But it's not ubiquitous if with all of his work. If there's, if, if there's anything that I can like pin down for Takashi Miike's style of directing, it's that all of his movies have a very weird air to them. Like yeah. there's something, there's something strange that like that's, uh, there's like a weird aura. I don't know how to explain it really. Um, it might be how he. I think it's. I think his. I think it's because he has these really long, uh, you know, shots that don't really meander, uh, and it's it sort of uh, showcases the just how mundane a moment can be. Mm-hmm. Uh, but mm-hmm. I feel like every single movie that he directs has this weird like, weird creepy air about it. Like it's, it's otherworldly. <laughs> If that makes any sense. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to make it sound like I'm completely condemning him and his movies. Like I have, I I'll admit that I haven't seen many of his movies. I've probably seen like five or six of his movies, uh, and and I like some of them. Like I liked um, my favorite of his movies is The Happiness of the Categories, uh, which has some sort of dark humor, but doesn't. It's fun. Yeah, but it's fun and it doesn't quite linger on a lot of the the stuff the the way that the that some of his work does in ways that sort of 
creeps me out a bit more. (laughs) (laughs) But I think that's something, and what Scott said, uh, that's something to be said about, like, the sheer volume of work that he's done. Um, I'm very curious to see, he's directed a few Ultraman, uh, Ultraman Max episodes that are on Crunchyroll. Um, I would be curious to see, that's, like, straight up kids stuff. Right, um, and he directed the Yodderman movie too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. But uh, uh, moving on, I was wondering if you guys had any favorite scenes you wanted to talk about. Oh man. Uh, <laughs> well, I really so the opening sequence. I really love the clown bit. Like I don't know why, but like the the little puppet thing that comes out and like grabs the guy and in the bondage like his crotch (laughs) yeah it's so like weird (laughs) i don't know it makes me laugh um i mean i love i love the shootout with with the with the bird mascot and the triad boss and uh as you know as cool and ridiculous as the final scene in this movie is i really do like that shootout i think it's really cool uh it's it's great action yeah definitely uh joey yeah, in thinking about this, like, part of me wants to just, like, point to the ending because, like, I think that certainly had the biggest positive reaction from me. Like, I was just laughing very loudly and, and even kind of clapping towards the end of it, being like, oh, my God, I can't believe this. I saw this I saw this with uh, a couple friends, and this is a good movie to watch with, like, a group to kind of be like, man, that, that, that's nuts or whatever. Uh, but I think that, uh, as Alex uh, pinned... <laughs> earlier my favorite thing is totally that guy in the the bird mascot uh <laughs> and that shootout uh is just a it's a really great like um scene in general uh but the the sort of bird mascot is the you know strawberry on top it's <laughs> so good and uh, and like i said it kind of uh, harkens back to the john woo stuff um yeah that i think you know this probably that could have been a reference by the fact that they are triad guys or something, but it, it might have just been kind of that that was in the air at the time in Asian cinema. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to throw a curveball um, and have like a really boring scene because as, as crazy as this movie is, I really like so much of the stuff about like criminal family and, uh, and, my favorite scene is actually when they're confronting the gang member that ran off with the money and that mm. one, one static shot under at night under a street lamp when they're all standing there kind of like confronting him. Cause the first time I saw the movie, I was like completely engrossed in that scene. So worried about what was going to happen. Like the palpable tension during that, even though like as rest as weird and goofy as the rest of the movie was like those parts of the movie I got super into. And I, I think they still hold up incredibly well. And, and along with that, all the stuff about kind of like exploring difficulties of not having a completely Japanese identity within Japan, which uh, is something I meant to mention earlier that uh, with all the stuff about half, uh, Chinese have Japanese people, which is something that shows up in a lot of Mike's movies, especially his Yakuza stuff. Uh, he is not actually half Japanese, half Chinese, but he is born of Korean parents, uh, even though he was born in Japan. So he's, he's 
still got a kind of personal investment in that kind of outsider feeling. But uh, but yeah, I, I like the small story stuff, and that one scene in particular, like, really got to me. So yeah, and I think it's good. just beautifully composed, and and the way it ends, like, uh, I, like that. That's next to the one of them in the in the marsh flats. That that. A, a static screenshot of that is probably my favorite shot of the movie. Now, um, do we have a least favorite scene in the movie? Because there's a lot of really, <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of ba- like bad stuff, but it's it's hard. Like, I mean, I'm, out of all of them, I think obviously poop bath is my least favorite scene by a lot, by a yeah. big by a big margin. Even like no matter out of all the really deplorable stuff in this movie, that's the one that I I can't um, stand. I did not remember the dog scene and when the dog first showed up uh, in, in movies like this, my immediate reaction is always just like, Oh no. Yeah. But, uh, oh, no, but the that, dog's going to get killed though. Right. Oh no. Oh no. Something bad is going to happen <laughs> yeah. to the dog. And that turned out bad, but it wasn't like that scene is, is not graphic or anything and it's, it's gross, but it's not like this is disgusting mm-hmm. the same way that like, yeah that the the poop bath was it wasn't as graphic yeah it's it's not it's not nearly as graphic yeah yeah um yes music we can uh music uh nothing really stood out to me i don't remember any particular things aside from that that beginning did you guys have anything not particularly actually Hmm. uh it's funny that uh I didn't know I didn't know about the direct to video stuff that we mentioned at the top of the episode. Um because the music definitely if you <laughs> it feels direct to video. Uh mm-hmm. it's kind of synthy and weird. Um doesn't like, select a bunch of electric violins. Yeah, it <laughs> it's really strange. Uh nothing really to write home about, but uh yeah, just very very strange. Um, another note on the, the direct video V cinema, part of why it was difficult figuring this out is V cinema, unlike direct video American stuff, uh, Japanese direct video was still shot in widescreen and then sold in a letterbox VHS format. So it's, I, you couldn't tell from it being a full format movie, whether it was, uh, theatrical or VHS. Yeah. Interesting. So, um, but yeah, I, I, I feel like this, uh, final thoughts, I, I, this movie still holds up incredibly well for me in a way that I was surprised by since it's been probably like, uh, 15 years since I first saw it and I hadn't revisited it, but, and I, I was a little worried, but like, I, I really like most of what's there still. Um, so yeah, going on, uh, what are we doing next month? So, uh, next month we're going to be watching Lady Snowblood, um, starring Meiko Kaji and directed by Toshida, uh, Toshia Fujita. And, um, it's based off of a manga series and I, uh, the way I describe this movie to people is the genesis of Kill Bill. Um. You can definitely see a lot of uh, Tarantino's inspiration for Kill Bill through this movie specifically. Like, it's it's awesome, and uh, it's just one of many really great uh, Meiko Kaji movies. And 
Uh, this was originally a movie that we were going to have a little um, a little further down the pipeline, but uh, but I kind of wanted to bump it up specifically because of the female protagonist. And there, in you know, a Japanese film, it's kind of few and far between. Uh, but the ones, you know, but whenever there is a, a movie that has a female protagonist, it's usually very uh, striking. Uh, and Meiko Kaji has been in a crap ton of really interesting series as well. Um, yeah, we were looking at our schedule and we were like, this is pretty dude heavy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so it's yeah. nice to mix it up a bit. And um, and I'm really excited. Uh, beautiful movie. Um, and you can... So you can check it out on Filmstruck or um, or the uh, Criterion Channel, uh, whichever you have. Um, I'm pretty sure. No, yeah, Criterion Channel. Uh, that's the one that has all of the Criterion movies. Um, I ended up buying it on Criterion Blu-ray last year, and uh, it's a wonderful set. I'd recommend that uh, if you're into you know collecting physical media. And um, I'm sure, th- and I'm sure you can stream it on Amazon as well. Yeah, this and this, uh, Dead or Alive, is our 12th episode, so that will be uh, our first episode of our new year. We've done this for a year, guys. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah, more that's... so if you count episode zero, actually. So That's true. Uh, wow. That's happy birthday, uh... Toho Yara. Wow, that's, <laughs> that's exciting. That's great. That's super. I, uh, I'm really flies, huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm a big uh, Mako Kaji fan, so... Yeah, yeah. If you follow Joey on Twitter, um, he he'll he tweets about Mako a lot. Speaking of Twitter, <laughs> yeah. Uh, where can we find you, Alex? Uh, if I may, at Twitter, um, at dude exclamation all one word. Um, also on Tumblr and Instagram as well. Uh, you can hear me occasionally uh, on the One Piece podcast. I haven't been on as uh, as as frequently just because I have life stuff going on. Um, but you can also hear me on another podcast um, called Saturday Morning Cartoons. I was on the One Piece episode uh, that aired about a month ago. Uh, so please check it out. Um, I get to talk about One Piece and uh, I get to talk to um, uh, new friends who... Uh, I had never seen One Piece up until that that point, so it's it's a very exciting wow. episode to watch. And that's Saturday cool. morning, M O U R, N. That's right. Like you know, like you're morning a like a, <laughs> a dead family that just got blown up. Uh, yeah, it's a cool episode. A I listened to it. I liked it. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Vriska Chat V R I S K A Chat. Uh, I'm Viria. Most other places V Y R I A. Uh, I have been incredibly busy lately, so I don't have much going on, but uh, I just recently got a new airbrush, so I might be posting pictures of things that I'm trying to paint with that. Um, Otherwise, not a whole lot. Uh, Finally, uh, last but not least, uh, Joey, where can people find you? (laughs) Uh, They can follow me on Twitter, at joeyweiser or joeyweiser.tumblr.com for updates about uh, what I'm up to. Um... A lot of uh, Japanese film talk on my uh, Twitter uh, from time to time. And um, my graphic novel series, Merman, uh, is now uh, complete. And uh, volumes 1 through 5 are available in hardcover and digital. And 1 through 2 are uh, available in softcover with the third softcover coming this fall. 
so you can uh, tell your comic shop or whatever to pre-order that for you. Um, and yeah, uh, please check out Merman. Um, it's exciting to have it all out uh, now and to be able to have people uh, read the whole story and stuff. Um, I don't have any specific events in May, but look for me at Heroes Con and the American Library Association show uh, in June, for sure. And um, finally, uh, follow Toho Yaro on Twitter and like them on Facebook, uh, like us on Facebook, I guess I should say. Uh, <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, you can email uh, us at tohoyaro at gmail.com. Uh, we're always taking recommendations. We're going to start kind of rolling into... Um, uh, more of our recommendation-inspired uh, shows uh, in the latter half of this year. And uh, we're also just always happy to hear uh, if you uh, like the show or things that you would like to hear on the show. And, uh, and uh, along those lines, rate and review us on iTunes. Yeah, please give us feedback. We would love to know what you the kind of things that you guys want out of the show or stuff that you would like us to maybe think about doing different, just help us improve it and make it a thing that uh, you guys love. Um, so yeah, until next time, uh, go find Lady Snowblood and watch it so you can join us for next month's episode. Yeah. All right. Bye everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.